Good morning. Take your Bibles. Got a, a task in front of us this morning, but don't panic. We're going to work through chapter 7 to chapters 12 today. Really just 7 to 10 is where we're going to focus on. And, and so as you look at this in your Bibles and find your place, um, we're going to tackle this a little bit differently than what I normally do as far as verse by verse. Uh, we're going we're gonna to get to this this morning, and I'm going to sort of summarize one chapter. We're going we're gonna to pull some takeaways. Make no mistake, I have exposited the text to, to get to these takeaways. Uh, I didn't pick this message for you this morning. We're working through Joshua. This is where we are. God chose it for us this morning. And he has a message for all of us here. He has, he has worked. I have worked through my fears, failures, and faithfulness just to get up here this morning. And so, last week and this week, connected together, remember what we said. Life, whether you, whether you like it or not, <laughs> whether you realize it or not, and if, if you're over the age of 10, you understand this is true. Life has both war and peace. Some seasons we're in peace and some seasons we're in war. And we don't often choose any of it. Sometimes it simply just chooses us. And if that's true, and it is, there's an inevitable reality to life, fighting failure. Both of it. You're not going to get out of this thing without experiencing both, sometimes in the same week. We have two great enemies in this fight. The first is indwelling sin. And what theologians use when they use this term indwelling sin is sin in the believer. This is indwelling sin that's in ourselves and in other believers. Romans 7, and I wish we could look at the whole chapter. We can't. Just listen to this. Romans 7.20 says this. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. This is Paul speaking about his life. There is, in the life of a believer, a war within us. And if there's not a war within you, you are not saved, no matter what class you've taken or what prayer you've prayed. If you are born again, there is a war inside of you. One is saying, follow Christ, as the other part is this indwelling sin that says, please yourself. And this is the fight. And so we see this in Joshua's life. Growth, that's what we're, that's what we're praying for, isn't it? Growth in our ability to fight. Growth where we see decreases in failures and increases in victory and an increase in our faith-filled obedience, no matter the cost. That's not the only enemy. The devil is after you. He's after me. He uses his demonic horde to accomplish that. And whether you are in Christ or not does not make you a friend of the devil. He has no friends. He, he hates image bearers and he desires to destroy them. But he really hates us who follow Christ. And he will attack you directly and indirectly. Sometimes he'll come at you head on. But other times he'll come through to deception. We'll see that this morning. If you've ever been in a fight or ever had to be prepared for a fight, here's one key. Don't turn your back on the enemy. I got this. Uh, Chris, who's preaching the same text this morning. Right now at Walnut Grove, he actually sent me this. Disney's produced another program, so, so turning your back on your enemy is using video games and TVs to babysit your kids. That's turning your back on the enemy. So let's listen to what they're going to watch. This is a new program. Disney just come out with it because they love the family so much. 
I'm being sarcastic. Let me just read you the description. The title of the new series is called Little Demons. This is the description. Thirteen years after being impregnated by Satan, a reluctant mother, Laura, and her antichrist daughter, Chrissy, attempts to live an ordinary life in Delaware, but are constantly thwarted by monstrous forces, including Satan, who yearns for custody of his daughter's soul. Couched in a cartoon that all your children will enjoy, and some of us adults would. Just Google it. Demonic themed video games, and here's what you're going to say. You can let your kids and reward them with video games, and they can be a demon, and they can customize what kind of demon they want to be in their in play of video games. And what's the difference if we put our children in front of things where they slaughter people for fun? That is turning your back on the enemy. He is after us, and he is after our children. So how do we fight? I tried to reword this main idea from what you what you're saying, but here's my point. Faith triumphs when two things come together in your life and in my life. We war. But we war with our warrior God. These things have to come together. And we do that through seeking to obey by faith and rest in His promises of victory. You see, the first battle was Jericho. We talked about that last week. And it seemed to be to Joshua, to Israel, this was an absolute success. But we, it's not till we get to Ai, the next city, that we find out what was successful. There was a problem. You see, sometimes we seek to fight the battle with sin in the camp. Chapter 7 tells us about this. So while in Jericho fighting, and there was a man named Achan, and with full understanding of what God has told him, Do not touch these things devoted to destruction. He grabbed it, he wanted it, he took it, and he would have said nothing about it if God wouldn't have brought it up. Joshua didn't know until they were defeated. So here's what happened. You can see this in in verse 2 and 3 of chapter 7. These spies come back. You know, Jericho is just a pile pile of rocks now. And they're sitting there going, psst. Hey, uh, yeah, they're about that big. Just give me a few thousand of your boys, and I'll see you at lunchtime. We're going to go mop up with them. You just sit back and relax, and Joshua sent them on. The next thing you know in verse 4 is Israel is running in defeat, failure. Joshua is distraught, verses 6 and 7. He has on his face in front of God, even blaming God for what has happened. Why did you take us across the Jordan just to have us defeated? It's your fault, God. I love verse 10. Look at verse 10. God tells him. He's on his knees before God. And God says, get up. Stop praying. You got sin in the camp, brother. Go get rid of it. Tells him again in verse 13. Get up. It's time for prayer. There's also a time for action. There's sin in the camp. And you would have realized that, Joshua, if you would have been on your knees before the battle and not after the battle. Achan was caught, so he confesses. They bring out his his take publicly, and him and his whole family is taken to the valley of Achor and executed. And they place a pile of stones over as a memory of what not to do in battle. So what can we take away from chapter 7, Achan and Israel's failures. 
This is, I think, one of the most important points of this message today. One of these points, if you don't get anything else, you better understand this. Secret sins are never private sins. They're not. I know you think after your, after your spouse goes to bed, you can do whatever you want to and it's not hurting anybody. That's just not the way it works. Never underestimate the damage of one person outside the will of God. Don't miss this truth this morning. And I wrestled with this truth, but this is simply true in the Old and the New Testament. Just as God's blessing was removed from Israel due to one man's sin, so one man's sin in the body of Christ can remove God's blessing from the church. Your private sin can quench the Holy Spirit in the body of Christ. That's the truth. And you're sitting there going, I don't know if I believe that or not. Why would God blame the whole nation for the disobedience of one soldier? I know this is hard to grasp with our American individualism. But God saw Israel as one people. They just wasn't a a, a collection of individuals. They weren't just a collection of clans and tribes. They were one people in the Lord. And when one of them sinned, they all sinned. It affected them all. And so it is in the body of Christ. We belong to each other. We are interdependent on each other. And we affect each other in our victories and in our failures. 1 Corinthians 12 12 says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. So here's the truth this morning. Every weakness and infection in any part of your body, or every strength and health in any part of your body, affects your whole body. I got bad shoulders from what I did for a living all my life. And this shoulder is completely wore out. And here's what it does. When it starts hurting, my neck starts hurting, my hand starts hurting, everything starts hurting. It's like, why why is it, you know, it's connected. My own little personal illustration, I'm going to use it because the sub-factor is right here and it's easy. We can all see it. When when somebody decided to sell that, me and Mike come together, and here's what we did. We started a corporation. It's called a limited liability corporation. And we bought this, the subfactory, the business. And we're equal partners in that. And we have full-time jobs. And so me and Mike have to divide up the duties, right? And I got my part. He got his part. My part, sales tax. I got to pay the sales tax. Well, let's just decide. I decide, you know, that profit's not growing quite as much. And I think I can help it. Besides, the government taxes us to death anyway, don't they? And all of us like to complain about that. We all shake our heads, yes. So I'm just not going to pay the sales tax. You know, boost our, boost our account and help it grow. What's it going to hurt? They don't need the money anyway. I'm not going to tell Mike. He'd understand, you know. And so I go about a year or so. Here's the question. When the government writes us a letter, do they send it to just me? No. They send it to the corporation, you see, the body, the collective group of people. And all of a sudden, my sin has affected him. And who else does it affect? It affects her. Who else does it affect? It affects Renee. Who else does it affect? It affects the employees. Who else does it affect? It affects the customers. Who else does it affect? It may well affect the whole community when the business goes out because of my sin. In the same way, brothers and sisters, we are part of each other and we cannot secretly sin and expect for the whole body to not be affected. If a one 
part of the body suffers what? We all suffer. And if one part of the body is honored, what happens? We all rejoice. 1 Corinthians 12, 26. Ecclesiastes says, Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Achan's sin was not private. And listen, neither was Joshua's. Here's here's the second takeaway. We're the most vulnerable to failure right after victory. You're going to see this repeat itself. You're most vulnerable right after you've had something really good happen in your life. Joshua was gifted and experienced. Been beside of Moses all his life, but he was not perfect. And so we see him even in here in Ai. His own failure. His own failure was his overconfidence. He was self-confident in his own self. And so is his army. They come back and say, hey, we got this. Don't worry about it. Just let us have a handful. We'll go take care of it. Failure brought Joshua back to his knees where he should have been to start with. Proverbs 11.2 says, when pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with the humble is wisdom. Third takeaway. Only when we see sin as God sees sin... Can we relish our Savior in His sin-removing, righteousness-bringing sacrifice? Some of us keep thinking, well, what about Achan's wife? We don't see sin as serious as God sees it. We don't see it as costly as God sees it. We don't see it the way He sees it. And so the gospel is never as sweet as it should be. It is when we realize that we deserve this justice that we're seeing over the last two weeks. God's justice is not just poured out on sin. God's justice is poured out on sinners. Sin doesn't go to hell one day. Sinners do. And so we need a Savior. We need someone to atone. We cannot atone for our own sin. So Hebrews 7 said, Jesus had no need like those of high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sin and then for those of the people. Since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. Jesus is our final high priest who did not need to have three lambs and bring it in. That's what they did. They brought in three. One for themselves, one for the people, and one what they called a scapegoat. See, sin not only needed to be paid for and atoned for, we desperately needed to be removed. That's what the scapegoat was for. Do you remember? They brought it. They put their hands, transferred symbolically all the sins of the camp, took it outside the camp, and sent it away. The sin never to come back for. This is why John said about Jesus, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. We need our sin to atone for, and we need it removed. This is why we must see our sin and see God's justice so that we can embrace this grace and mercy. And we only embrace it through repentance. To acknowledge our sin and to repent of it. Acts twenty twenty one. We testify both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God. And of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only way to respond. The sin in our life. Whether it's secret or whether it's public. Even after failure. This is the good part. Chapter 8. Even after this failure of AI, on multiple levels, victory is possible. Notice this victory of the dependent. 
we see this different thing going on with the Joshua now. Look at verses 1 and 2 of chapter 8. And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear and do not be dismayed. Take all the fighting men with you and arise and go up to Ai. See, I have given it into your hand, the king of Ai and his people and his city and his land. So having the sin now removed from the camp and having been encouraged by God and his promises, Joshua now grows. He corrects. How do we know that? He takes all the boys with him this time. No overconfidence now. He gave me 600,000. I'm taking them all with me. Why? Because God said so. Listen, God could have used 50 of them and defeated Ai. But he told them to bring them all. And so he did. And here's what God tells them to do. Set up an ambush for them. So I want you to put some guys, I want you to put them over there in ambush. And here's what you're going to do. We're going to use their self-overconfidence against them. And so, remember, they had just had a victory, so they were overconfident. The people of Ai. So he come, they come up to the, the gate. Ai comes out there, and Israel takes off running. They say, we got them. So when they're taking off running, they leave their gates completely open. The ambushing group comes into the gate, and the, when, the, when the warriors turn around, their city's on fire. And then Israel turns around. Ai's fallen. Don't miss this point. God gives Israel all the spoils. What if Achan would have just been patient? What if Achan would have simply trusted God? The next city, he would have had more than he stole. If he would have simply trusted God's plan, God only blesses what He ordains. He only blesses those who obey His Word. And He will not bless your life if you're living in sin. He just won't. He just can't. Because He's just and He's good. Blessings flow from trusting and obeying. The Lord delivers. But notice, look down in verse 30 and 35. Don't miss the worship service. After this, they worship. And how they worship, you can see it in verse 31, is they bring two offerings. They tell us of two offerings, the burnt offering and the peace offering. And I can't wait one day. I know people can't, some people can't stand Leviticus. I absolutely love Leviticus. I just can't wait to preach through it one day. Because you've got to understand this sacrificial system to really appreciate the, what Jesus has done for us. The burnt offering, you see, reminded the people that our sin is costly but a sacrifice could be made and atone for that sin. And the wrath is removed and propitiation comes and God's favor can now be on the people. And so the peace offering is connected. It was a celebration. It was an expression of their gratefulness that now they had a restored fellowship with God and they renewed themselves once again to their covenant God. This was worship. Not only that, notice the word is remembered. The word is celebrated couple of takeaways here from chapter 8. This is good news. I can't give you better news than this. Our past does not define us nor confine us. What you did when you were 16 or what you did last week does not define you as a person nor confine you in this life. Whom God sets free is free. And He not only atones for that sin, but He removes it. It doesn't define you. You repent. You are restored. You grow. And you win the battle. That's what we're learning here. In our victories and in our failures. Remember to remember. 
Remember to remember. Remember to remember what he's already taught you. And remember to worship your God. I know we've heard this passage used out of context probably most of our life. But this was the promise given to God's restored people. Jeremiah 29, 11 and 12 says this. Now you need to hear this is coming from God to his people. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. A plan for your welfare and not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me. And I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Thus saith the Lord. So from Jericho to Ai. Both victory and failure. And then what do they do? They go back to Gilgal. Their base camp. That brings us to chapter 9. Now here's what we sometimes think. You ever play uh, the game, I used to play it when a kid. They may not even call it that now. They may, not, they may do something different. I don't know. We, was it freeze tag? Is it, they still have that where you try to touch each other and you've got to have like this base camp. You just have like a safe place. And if you touch it, they can't, they can't touch you, right? It's not the way the devil works. <laughs> I know it's, it's, it may surprise you. But the devil works in here. You may think this is, this is it's sort of our base camp. Do you know the enemy can, can come into your home and attack you? You're not safe just because you're home. Some of the greatest wars in our life have been fought at home. The enemy oftentimes defeats us, you see, through deception. Through deception. So, 25 miles away from Gilgal, with Gibeon. The Gibeonites were actually Hivites. If you ever read that in the Bible, all these ites can get rather confusing. But, but they were just, so to speak, over the hill. And so all the countries, seeing what's happened, has said, we need to, we need to make an alliance to defeat, the, defeat Israel. But Gibeon had a different plan. The Gibeonites says, I think we can do better than fighting. Let, let's try a different tactic than the frontal assault. It, doesn't, it hasn't worked very good for these other folks. So they, they got a group of people, they put on old clothes and old sandals and they, got, they find some old crusty moldy bread and old wine skins and, and you know, and they, they, hobbled into, they hobbled into base camp. They said, oh, we've, we've heard of your Lord and what He's done and, and uh, we've traveled a long way, long way. Look at us, we're just tattered, hungry, our bread's old. Will you make a covenant with us? Because we've heard of your God and we don't want to be destroyed. You see, Gibeon was already on the list. They were next, so to speak. Here's what the Bible says. Without consulting the Lord, they went into covenant with them. And three days later, they found out they were their next door neighbor. They honored their covenant because they went into a covenant under God's name. And so they, could, they couldn't go back on it. But the Gibeonites, and this is important for a little bit of history, they become their servants. And later they become the servants of the temple. And when we get to Ezekiel, and even in Saul's day, we still see them serving the temple, and we still see them protected. So another failure, right? Another failure in Joshua's leadership. What can we take away from this? The enemy takes out more from deception than frontal assault. The enemy takes out more from deception than frontal assault. 
They were primed again. It's that, it's that principle coming up again. Two victories under their belt. <laughs> F.B. Meyer says this. It's better to meet Caiaphas on the street than Judas. A black devil is less to be dreaded than a white one. What is he saying? If your enemy comes up to you and they say, Dude, I'm about to take you. You know he's an enemy. But the dangerous ones are the ones that come up beside you and befriend you. <laughs> Sometimes even marry you, right? And find out they're the enemy. Somehow the Gibeonites knew God's law. And they used it against them. The enemy knows the Bible. Can pass the quiz. He knows God's word. He knows God's character. He even knows God's promises. And he will use them against you. And you will believe that you deserve it and that it's true. Just look at how the devil tried to tempt Jesus in the garden. Sometimes, 1 Peter says, that Satan comes as a devouring lion. You know when a lion's coming up to you, but even they're a little sneaky, aren't they? But more and more times than not, it happens just like it happened in the garden. It comes as a deceiving serpent. Slithering in with half-truths. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 11.3. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. You see, the devil's patient. If he can just deceive you a little bit, if it can just become that lie you believe or that thing that you deserve, he's got you. Second, the enemy capitalizes on our lack of fellowship with God. So what happened here, it's clear in verse 14. It says, so the men took some of the, the Gibeonites' provisions, but they did not ask counsel from the Lord. That was the failure. Two primary means of fellowship. Prayer and God's Word. We know this, don't we? How many times have you heard it? And yet we still... Pick up one to drop another, or sometimes drop them both. You neglect either one of those things, and you will be easy pickings for the deceiver. And he will deceive you, and you won't even know it. But here's good news. The good news here of the, of, Gibeah, of the Gibeonites. The enemy will only serve to accomplish our sovereign God's kingdom plan. He can't derail it. It's good news today. This, the Gibeonites remind me of Genesis 50 with Joseph. You remember? When their father died, Jacob and all the brothers that had deceived Joseph said, Oh no, now he's going to get us now. His daddy not here to protect us. And in Genesis 50, 19, Joseph said to his brothers, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive. Listen, this is good news this morning God's story is bigger than your pain God's story is bigger than your failures he's got a plan and so forgive and be forgiven and move on with the, with the war because sitting around worrying about how somebody hurt you 20 years ago is not going to lead anybody else to Jesus Christ we have a cross and we have an empty tomb and you need to believe it in this life.
Because there's a lot of hell on this side of the rock. And you need to believe the gospel. God's story is bigger. As, as Job found out in Job 42, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. And so here's what happens. As a result of the Gibeonite deception, this alliance of these five great southern kings says, those Gibeonites created an alliance with our enemies. We're going we're gonna to get them. And so we're going to get all our people, all our alliance together, and we're going to converge on Gibeon. So the Gibeonites said, help, help, we're in trouble. Through all our failures and running ahead of God and our perfect victories and obedience, we are growing, and so is Joshua. We are learning, and so is Joshua. We are progressing, and so is Joshua. And so we see sometimes, praise the Lord, that we fight our battles with the Lord of hosts. That's what chapter 10 is about. We see a southern alliance and we see God's faithfulness. Let me read, look at verse 6. Look at verse 6 of chapter 10. And the men of Gibeon sent to Joshua at the camp of Gilgal, saying, Do not relax your hand from your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us and help us. For all the kings of the Amorites who dwell in the hill country are gathered against us. So Joshua went up from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him, and all the mighty men of valor. Verse 8, And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them, for I have given them into your hands. Not a man of them shall stand before you. So Gibeon cries for help, and God says, Go help them. You're going to take them all. So God instructs, Joshua obeys. God says go up. He goes up. It says what happens here, you can see this in verse 9 and 11, that Joshua does a forced march and gets there and he surprises the five kings. And here's what happens. And here's, you need to grab this this morning. They go out with their sword in their hand and they begin to fight. And as they begin to fight, God throws the enemy into a panic. And as they fight and God fights, the enemy begins to flee. And then God throws hailstones down and begins to kill them. Verse 11 says there were more that died from the hailstones than from the sword. The point is this. Fighting together. Matter of fact, there was such a war going on, and there was such a slaughter happening during this battle that, that Joshua was running out of time. So if you look down at verse 12 and 14, Joshua prays. He prays specifically, Lord, I don't have enough. It, boy, we can all identify with this, right? I don't have enough day left to get done what I need to get done. So will you do me a favor? Will you just stop the sun for a minute so that we can get done? He asked, hey, if you pray specifically, you get specific answers. So he did. Guess what God did for the first time in history? Whoop. So they defeated the kings. Matter of fact, the five kings flee, and they run into a cave. And, and so Joshua gets the boys to go pile some rocks up in front of the cave so they can't get out. And so we're just going to leave them in the cave. I'll come back to them later. They're not going anywhere. Then he goes and he defeats the rest of the army. And so, the rest of chapter 11 and 12 is as you were to start with. They mop up 
so to speak. These were the five strongest kinks in the South. Once they fell, the rest of them was just a cleanup operation. And it tells us as he's grown and as he grows, southern kingdom will fail, the northern kingdom will fail. Look with me in chapter 11, verse 15. We see this dynamic of the, of the Christian life. We see it in Joshua. The Lord instructs, Joshua obeys. Chapter 11, verse 15. Just as the Lord commanded Moses, his servant, so Moses commanded Joshua, and so Joshua did. He left nothing undone of all that the Lord had commanded Moses. Joshua was not a man without failure. But Joshua was a man who learned from his failures. And he learned better to listen to what the Lord says and obey him than anybody else. Verse 23 of chapter 11 says this, So Joshua took the whole land according to all that the Lord had spoken to Moses. And Joshua gave it for an inheritance to Israel according to their tribal allotments. And the land had rest from war. We see God and his people fighting. And God's promises become a reality. This Brothers and sisters, this dynamic is the normal Christian life. So three takeaways from this defeat of the kings. The faithful God acts on behalf of faithful people. God's committed to you. Are you committed to him? First uh, Thessalonians 5.23, listen to what he, Paul says to the church. May the God... Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. That's what God is doing in your life. It's not just about the enemy. It's also about holy warriors. Here's another truth from this we get when you embrace kingdom mission you will see God's hand work in mighty ways God is doing more than just balancing a checkbook he is doing more than just trying to give you a good education so you can get a good job and make good money and be comfortable it's not what he's doing there's a kingdom here the kingdom comes at Christ and the kingdom will come one day and we're in that time in between and there is a mission that God has gave us. And if you want to see miracles, and if you want to see mighty things in God's hands, then you got to be on the front lines fighting. God's still doing miracles. Yes, He is. And He's still laying out the witch doctors on the other side of the world, just like He did in the Old Testament. He's still doing it. And just because we don't go doesn't mean it's not happening. He's still doing miracles. And listen, He's doing acts of providence. That's when He uses nature and anything he wants to include in people to accomplish his purpose and his plan. If you want to see it, embrace the work. Get in the fight. But also, let's go back to those kings that we still got stuck in that cave. The faithful must resolve to not fear and finish the fight. Awful easy to quit. Remember the kings. You look back up at chapter 10, you see them in verse 24. 
after that war was over and everybody was defeated, verse 24, and when they brought those kings out to Joshua, Joshua summoned all the men of Israel and said to the chiefs of the men of war who had gone with him, Come near, put your feet on the necks of the kings. Then they came near and put their feet on their necks, verse 25. And Joshua said to them, Do not be afraid or dismayed. Be strong and courageous. Does that sound familiar? It's what they, God told him in the beginning. See, he's growing. But listen, don't you miss that last sentence. For thus the Lord will do to all your enemies against whom you fight. You see both there? The Lord's going to give us the victory. But He's given you the victory of, those, of what we're fighting for. And if you're not in the fight, you won't see victory. The lesson, trust me and finish your mission. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians 10. I do want you to turn there and I want you to look at this. There are strongholds in this world. There are strongholds in this world. The strongholds are entrenched evil where the devil has control. 2 Corinthians 10, look at verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we, do not wage, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of flesh, but, are, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments, and we destroy every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. If you want to see the divine power working in your life and in others' life, there are things that we must do. We must take on the knowledge of God. And we need to destroy the arguments that are raised up. Are your children ready to go off to college and be overwhelmed with what they teach them? got to be prepared you got to engage it here's the question how how do we fight turn with me to Ephesians don't have time to get into all the spiritual armor our growth group is going to the rescue mission I invite you if, if you don't have anything going on Wednesday to come be a part of that with us uh, uh, me or Jeff one going to be talking about Ephesians 6. It's what we're talking about. How do you fight? Ephesians 6. Look at verse 13. It says, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done, done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness Put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith that you can dis extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. I just want you to see three things today. There's a lot there. Your main weapon. The main how-to, the how to fight and experience more victory and failures in this life is God's Word. 
just no other way around it. Every other piece of armor gets its function from the Word of God. Truth and faith and gospel readiness and holiness all come out of this book because it's just not a book. This tells us about God. This is how we commune with Him. It is God's Word that I honor of His commitment to me. Think about this with me. What do we learn in God's Word? We learn of Christ's righteousness that through faith is given to us as a gift and can never be removed. It, God, Jesus Christ will not take it out of your account and nobody else has the power to, not even yourself. We learn about that in God's Word. We learn that God is so totally committed to us that He takes it on and puts the Spirit of God in our life. This mission is to make me like Jesus Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, but not Christ lives in me. The life that I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me. And He gave Himself for me. I don't get that anywhere else but the book. It's God's word that I learn about the promises that I use of defensive weapons when the devil throws these stuff at me and tells me who I am and tells me that I'm a failure and tells me to quit. And when I place that own blame on me of things that Christ has already forgiven me for, I go to his word to say, I don't have to receive it. Yes, I must reject it because God says I am free, forgiven, and his. Only the book tells you this. It's only God's Word. I learn how to speak my faith boldly and clearly. You don't learn it by taking a class. You don't learn it by going to school. You don't learn it by hiring some evangelist to come in here to tell you how to share the gospel. You learn it by know the book and know the God of the book. And if you know Him, I can remember Pastor Jeff saying this, if you know Him, you can talk about Him. What using your personality that God gave you as an excuse to be sinful. He's given it to you. Use it. We learn this in the book. It is only in mastering the Word of God. Can I know how to go on the offensive and push back the kingdom of Satan and advance the kingdom of God? We are not a defensive people. We're the church of God. And Satan is on the defensive, trying to hold back us. At least that's what the book teaches us. We fight. Don't you miss this. Did you miss the whole context of Ephesians? We fight together. Our relationship with God and our relationship with others is critical for the victory. The church is a warrior family. We fight together. We live together. We do things together. I was going to say this later. I'll say it now. We went to a ball game, a baseball game. I don't know that much about baseball. Why did I go to the baseball game? When I don't really know anything about baseball, because I love John, because I love Steve. This is what family does. The biggest problem some of us have today that we should repent of is to think you don't need a biblical community. You are doing nothing in the kingdom of God precisely because you have not embraced biblical community. And if you do not have a biblical community, I can almost bet you're not on the mission of God acting. When you hang around people that aren't like you, we become better people. Has not marriage taught us that? I was just an ignorant old redneck and I met that woman. Next thing I know, I'm listening to classical music when I'm studying. Right? 
He's an, I didn't know this. Found out at a baseball game he used to be an umpire. Could it be that he's seeing the baseball game different than me? Could it be that if I spent a little bit of time with him, maybe I'd learn to appreciate baseball? That's just an illustration. But it's true in everywhere in life. You isolate yourself. You do so to your own destruction and to the disobedience of the book. We fight together. And if you're not fighting with us, there's a small group of warriors fighting with 3,000 when there should be 600,000 of us. We fight. Look at back if you got Ephesians 6. Look at verse 18. We fight through our abiding. Brothers and sisters, I come back to this issue of community. I don't know how we can claim to be abiding with Christ when we're not abiding together. It tells you to abide. The primary way we abide is through prayer. Uh, Chuck Lawless says this, summarizing this whole section. Put on the armor of God and pray. We pray to God. We pray to God for each other. We pray to God for alertness. Just look at the text, the boldness, victory. Do you see that Paul was trying to teach the church to pray missional prayers? Kingdom prayers are missional prayers. This is our collective mission. It has two things. The great commandment to love God and love each other and the great commission to go help people follow Jesus in the midst of their failure. We don't have another one. The great commission is not the great commandment. The great commandment is how we do the great commission. And every one of us has a part to play. Every one of us, if you were saved, is in the battle. Every one of us has armor to put on. And every one of us has given us a promised victory to win. And so here's what we do now. Let us remember. That's why we celebrate communion every week. We do it to remember that our Lord was our burnt offering. Removed wrath and problem. He is our sin offering that brings us peace. And so now we can come with Him to the tables. He is our peace offering. We can come now every Sunday and remember the price for our forgiveness has been paid full and free. And no matter how I've blown it last week, I can come to my Jesus and say, Lord, forgive me, restore me, I am yours. And we can come to the table and celebrate it together with Him. And so, let us remember, and then let us worship, and then let us war. Let's pray. Lord, what truth is in this book? And Lord, sometimes I just feel like we just all need to ask for forgiveness, that we have neglected the Old Testament as much as we have. And you have so much to teach us in every page of this book. And so, Lord, we thank you for it. We thank you in this book that there is our hope. That no matter where I am or what I've done. I have no right to hold sin against others or even myself. If you have forgave it. And so Lord. We may need to ask forgiveness for that. And so Lord whatever it is. You tell us before we come to the tables. And before we stand and, and offer worship out of our mouth. That Lord if there is anything 
in this room between us and our God. Lord, would you help us to lay it on the table today? I don't want to carry my sin one step further. I'm tired of carrying it. I'm tired of carrying the anger. I'm tired of carrying the bitterness. I'm tired of carrying the fear. I'm tired of carrying the guilt. I'm tired of being anxious all the time. I'm tired of being stuck in my grief because I lost somebody I cared about years ago, Lord. I I need you to give me peace and freedom and forgiveness and I need to enjoy it. I want the abundant life that you promised for your people, God. Lord, we got people that are lost and we love them. And yet we're tired. We're tired to keep sharing the gospel and keep loving them. And all we get is resistance. God, renew us. Remind us that you'd never give up on us. We are your children eternally. And that is something to celebrate. And so God, do the reviving and the reviving to now. Through the power of your Spirit. Your word has gone forth and you say it will not return void. And so, Lord, by faith, we count that as true in my life and in everybody's life. Even if they're watching online, Lord, it's true. Revive them today in the name of Jesus Christ. And God's people said, Amen.